go to Exodus chapter 30, so you can be turning there, being ready, you diligent note-taking wonderful students of the Word of God. And as we get ourselves organized, I'm with Ronnie. I love this beautiful weather that we've been having. It's just right about perfect for me. Uh, <laughs> and especially then you throw into it beautiful sunrises and sunsets. And, you know, the moon's been putting on a pretty good show the last couple of days. So it's a sweet time of year to be living in the desert. <clears throat> now, today we're going to be looking at the second piece of furniture in the courtyard. It's called the brazen laver. And depending on your Bible translation, it could be called the brass laver or the bronze laver. Uh, and even in the temple, when Solomon builds the temple, they call it the molten sea. So it is known by several different names. And I'll let you in a sneak preview of coming attractions. In the book of Revelation, it is called the glassy sea. So remember, this is a model of the real deal in heaven. And someday when you are out of that earth suit and joined together to your bridegroom, you're going to see all that was real, and this is just a model of. So I love to start this study by just paraphrasing and summarizing John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. That's what it says literally, tabernacled among us. Of all of the different pieces of furniture that are in the tabernacle, there is something about this brazen labor that just captures me. I, don't, I wouldn't say that I had a favorite, but if I were going to be hard-pressed, this would be right next door to being my favorite piece of furniture because it is all about the Word of God. As we continue... Our study, what I would like for you to start to do is take note of omissions and variations in the information that God gives. Now, I have no doubt that when he had Moses up on the mountain, he gave him all the details that were required to build every piece of furniture. Remember, I said at the very beginning, he didn't say roughly go out and do it like this. But there are certain pieces of information that are sometimes omitted from the recorded record. And so kind of keep an eye out for that. I think they are very uh, important to note. And we're going to see several of them here. So on your handout, you have that first line giving you the information for the building of this piece of furniture, the location in scripture where you will find those instructions. And then the moving of instructions. If you become familiar with Numbers chapter 4, it will help you understand how all of the pieces of furniture were meant to be moved. Interesting, when you go and read there, you will find that no covering is mentioned for the labor. In fact, it's almost omitted completely from the record there. Interesting omission. The location of the brazen labor is between the altar of sacrifice and the door of the tabernacle proper. And the reason I like this little illustration is because it shows you this artist's rendition of the courtyard area and the proximity and the, and the approximate size of the different pieces of furniture. This is a picture of the anointing of Aaron 
as high priest. And you'll see right in front of him is the altar of sacrifice, and directly behind him is the large wash basin, the brazen laver, and just beyond that is the door. If you remember, if you were here on the first day when we talked about the seven wonders of the ancient world, enormous was part of the description. This is a humble, small, relatively speaking, place of worship. And I just like that we get the scope of it from that little image there. Now, the material that is used to build this piece of furniture is bronze. Not an omission is going to be given, but additional information about this material is given in Exodus 38, verse 8. And we will look at that in just a few moments. So we know it's made of bronze, but for some reason, God is going to give us extra detail about it. And then when you want to find out what the dimensions of that are, let me have you listen as we read through this, through this uh, portion of scripture. And you tell me if you find the dimensions listed, okay? Exodus chapter 30, we'll start in verse 17 and read to verse 21. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, you shall also make a laver of bronze with its base of bronze for washing. And you shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet from it. I would like for you to take note of the words from it there. Verse 20. When they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water. Now look at this. You think God is serious about this? So they will not die. We are talking about handling holy things. Remember, we are getting ready to go into the tabernacle and approach the holy of holies. God's not kidding around. And he says about this piece of furniture several times, do it like I'm telling you, lest you die. This is the Lord. He's very serious. He says, so that they will not die. Or when they approach the altar to minister by offering up in smoke a sacrifice to the Lord, so they shall wash their hands and their feet, Mind you, they served barefoot. So you can imagine if you were serving barefoot and you were working around the altar of sacrifice, all that blood mixed in with all that dirt and all the ash and all the rest that goes on in a dirt environment. So they were to wash both their hands and their feet so that they will not die. And it shall be a perpetual statute for them, for Aaron and his descendants throughout their generations. So as the laver and the altar of sacrifice both were exposed to the elements, they were built of sturdier stuff, the bronze. But where they differ in construction is that the altar of sacrifice had that underpinning of acacia wood. And this altar, or excuse me, this laver is solid bronze. I find that an interesting detail. We will come back to that in the future, but just mark it. And if you recall that the tabernacle was built with the materials collected in a free will offering, a willing contribution from all of the citizens of the nation Israel. And every piece of furniture then was built from that general fund, if you will. But not this. For this one, God does record the specific source that was meant to be used. So turn to Exodus 38, verse 8. And we will see this interesting additional detail. <clears throat> Moreover, he made the laver 
of bronze with its base of bronze from the mirrors of the serving women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Now, when they came out of Egypt, remember they had plundered Egypt and highly polished bronze or brass mirrors were highly prized by Egyptians. You know, you got to get that eyeliner on. And so part of the plunder then were many, many mirrors. And these women contributed those specific um, materials to use in this piece of furniture. And it's the only one of all the furniture that we are given this kind of detail for. And yet, did you notice dimensions when we were reading through there? No dimensions are given for building this very large wash basin, a two-tiered uh, construction, the lower for the feet and the upper for the hands. When the Israelites were on the march, this was the only piece of furniture that was also not covered. You will see that when you go on your own and read Numbers chapter 4. There's no covering on it. It was always open to anyone who wanted to look, open to the eye at all times, whether it was in the courtyard or whether it was on the march. Why do you suppose we have these variations from the norm, these different details and omissions? Well, the Holy Spirit is giving them to us for a specific reason, and we're going to take them one at a time, starting with the bronze mirrors. When I was giving you the information about the altar of sacrifice, I mentioned, and it's in your materials list, that bronze is symbolic of judgment. And in great part, that interpretation comes from Numbers chapter 21. So if you will turn there to Numbers chapter 21, we're going to look at verses 4 through 9. Numbers is a really interesting book. It kind of gets a bad rap because it has a bad title. And people think that's all that you're going to find in there, just lists and lists and lists of numbers. But some of the most incredible accounts are recorded there. And it's God's, one of his greatest picture books in the Old Testament. I love the book of Numbers. Uh, so here we are going to read about God's judgment against the sinful behavior of the people Israel. They are nearing the end of their 40-year wilderness wandering, and throughout they have been sustained by a miraculous provision, the bread of heaven, angels' food, manna. And they've also had plenty of water provided from the Lord. Uh, but verse 4 records that they were impatient because of the journey. Now recall that this is the second generation all the first generation have died off in the wilderness. So these are the children of those who came out of Egypt. And they begin to sing their parents' theme song. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Okay, most of these people were not brought up out of Egypt. They were born in the wilderness. And yet... The contagion of their parents grumbling and complaining is what they've learned. Listen, if you grumble and complain in front of your children, what are they supposed to learn? They will learn your song. And the song is, why did you bring us up out of Egypt in this wilderness to die? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. So A, they've learned their parents' theme song. And B, there's not a bit of truth in their statement. There's plenty of food, and there was plenty of water. They did not like the menu. And so they rose up against God 
and God sent into the camp fiery serpents. Those of you who are interested in word studies, this is a great place to just go to town. Because what God sends into the camp, the Hebrew word is seraph. Plural would be seraphim, if that sounds familiar to you. So fiery serpent, what he sends are seraph. Okay? Verse 6 there in Numbers 21. He sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. Well, of course, now the people are going to quickly repent because that's what you do when the bite of, of the snake is on you. So they repent. They beg Moses, please go to God. Entreat for us a cure. Moses does that, and God gives him a very interesting cure. This is the remedy for snake bite. Verse 8. He says, make a fiery, make a seraph, is what it says in the Hebrew. Make a seraph and set it on a standard. Place the standard is what he's going to give him instruction to do. Take this standard now with this seraph on it and put it up on a high place so that when people, I mean, everybody that's on the flatlands can look up and see it. All right, it's not going to be hidden. It's not obscure. It's going to be lifted up high and lifted up for all to see. And it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a standard. And it came about that if a serpent bit any man, read that woman or child, he, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. This is simple. You look, you live. You don't, you die. There is no prevaricating around the bush. You want to live? You look right at this remedy, this cure. And as many as would look in faith to God's remedy, they were instantly saved and healed. The account of this judgment is what reinforces our interpretation that bronze is symbolic of judgment because that was the material used to create that snake that was put on the pole. And then you add to this model that's beginning to emerge here. A snake, you've got the bronze, and now you're going to add the image of a snake, the original symbol for sin in the garden. In fact, one of the words that's used in this account is nachash, and it's the very word that is used to describe Satan in Genesis 3.1. So those of you who do word studies, watch out for the, the seraph nachash. And so you add these things together, and what you get is a model emerging. You have the symbol for judgment and the symbol for sin. And then God says, you take those things and you put them on a standard. Now, a standard was the kind of pole that you would hang your banner from, and then you would lift it up. So it's generally understood to be a cross, a wooden cross. And so what you have God doing here in this model in the wilderness millennia before Jesus Christ came to fulfill it, you have a picture of sin being judged on a cross. Isn't that amazing what the Lord has done? Jesus himself identified with the model in John chapter 3. Everybody on the planet seems to know John 3, 16. But verses 14 and 15, Jesus said, As Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. Isn't that amazing? 
that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. You look, you live, you don't, you die. It's as simple as that. That is an amazing picture to me. Has anyone in this room besides me ever been bitten by the fiery serpent of sin? Anybody? Okay, this is our remedy. We look in faith to what Jesus Christ has done for us on that cross. And all you have to do is look to him in faith and you will be saved. Isn't that amazing? Now, if that was the only lesson that we learned from the labor, it would, be, it would have been enough. But there's more. As the priests ministered and served and worshipped, they made repeated trips between the various pieces of furniture. And they had to wash the blood, the dirt, the ash, and all of the rest, sweat, from their persons. Each time that they would stand at the laver, they must have seen their reflections. Mirrors, remember? So they would stand at this large wash basin and look in, and there they could see their face. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I have a scar on my face that I see every time I look in the mirror. Now, I walk away from the mirror, and I don't even notice it. I mean, I forget all about it. But when I go and look in the mirror, there it is shining, shining like the sun. It's a skin cancer, skin graft right on the end of my nose. And little children always say to me, what's that on your nose? And I say, a skin graft. Thank you for asking. But, <laughs> but you know, when you look into a mirror, you have to tell yourself the truth. Every scar, every blemish, every smudge, disheveled hair, whatever it may be, it's right there. You cannot deny it. You must tell yourself the truth. And every time they stood at the laver, they would have to tell themselves the truth. That's a powerful thing. Imagine yourself standing there at the laver of God in the courtyard. The truth is before your own eyes, right there in your own reflection the brazen laver, though, is filled with water, not drinking water, but water for washing. In scripture, water is usually looked upon in two ways. Drinking water is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Washing water is symbolic of the word of God. Okay? We look into the laver of the word of God, and we tell ourselves the truth. It is here that we discover the character of our Heavenly Father. And we learn that if a thing is not right, then it's wrong. If it's not straight, then it's crooked. If it's not light, then it's darkness. If it's not truth, then it's a lie. We learn the truth about God and the overflow from all we learn is how we live and move and have our being in truth. To worship the Lord in spirit and in truth is what we learn when we come to the labor. One of the things that I absolutely adore about our God, I am so thankful and grateful that when he reveals my sin, he doesn't just leave me in that condition. He doesn't say to me, you're a sinner and you deserve judgment. Those things are true. But he immediately has the remedy right there ready if we confess our sin. He is faithful and just to uh, cleanse us of our sin or to forgive us our sin, excuse me, and to cleanse us 
from all unrighteousness. Make a note sometime as you're going through your Bible how many times the Lord refers to cleansing and washing and remember the lessons of the labor. Not only does he cleanse us of all unrighteousness, but he goes on in Ephesians to say that husbands are to love their wives like Christ loves the church. How does Christ love the church? He sanctifies her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. It's the word of God that does the work of washing and cleansing. The Greek word that is used throughout the New Testament, uh, not exclusively, but in, in this kind of circumstance, is where we get our word laver. So he is literally saying the laver of the Lord, the labor of the word of God is what we are sanctified by. Paul uses that same labor word in Titus. We're going to turn there, Titus chapter 3 in verse 5. But I love it so much, we're going to read verses 4 through 6. So go to Titus chapter 3. Titus 3 for your notes, verses 4 through 6 but especially verse 5. Verse 4. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the labor of of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Lord. For every Christian, there are two types of washing. There are two types of laboring, if you will. The first is that regeneration that Paul writes of in Titus 5, 3, 5. And then the second one is the renewing. The word regeneration literally means a new birth. If you take it apart in its constituent parts, it says again or new genesis, regeneration. It is a new creation. Behold, the old things have passed away, and I'm standing before you new in Christ Jesus. That is a one-time only miracle of recreation that the Lord provides to everyone who believes on his son. However... The renewing is something, it's a kind of washing that we can do every moment of every day, as often as we need. In the Gospels, both all, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all record the story of a paralytic man who had friends that loved him so dearly that they peeled back the roof of a house and lowered this paralytic man down and lay him at the feet of Jesus. Do you all know that story? All right, so it sparks the whole which is easier to say debate. But what I see in that, pic, in that uh, story is the two kinds of washing. Jesus says to this paralytic man, take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. And this young man is given a new life, paralyzed no more. He is restored, recreated, regenerated right there and it was because his sin was forgiven apparently he was paralyzed because of sin and Jesus took one look at him and he saw the need he met the need he filled the need and he said now get up and walk 
And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to take our brand new life and get moving. But on the move, as we're wandering through our wilderness, very often we stumble. We fall, we bump into things, sometimes by accident and sadly, sometimes on purpose. We just make mistakes and we get dirty again. Even though we're regenerated, new creations in Christ, we still get dirty. Do y'all ever have that happen to you? Because, or is it just me? All right, so anyway, um, if you remember the lessons of the tabernacle then, when that happens to you, and remember what God said, lest you die. Okay, look at what the psalmist has written in Psalm 24, verses 4 and 5. I think when we approach God without looking into the water of his word, we find ourselves in trouble. We wind up being like those Israelites who grumbled and complained and just sing the same old song. And that's why it's so important to take everything back to the Word of God and spend some time there. And look what the psalmist says. Chapter 24, verses 4 and 5. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? In a few weeks, we're going to be looking at the holy place in the tabernacle. Who can get in there? Here's the answer. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. This is the person who stopped at the labor of God's word and washed and got a fresh perspective. James puts it like this in James chapter 4, verse 8. He says, drawing near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. That's the daily renewing of our mind by the washing of the water of the word. And we can go to the laver as often as we need to go. And we can wash in the water of the word. And there are times in our lives when we're walking in fellowship with the Lord, we're in his word, we're ministering and serving, and we're really, we're really in a good place personally and spiritually. And yet, the sin of this world can get onto us. It's like clean furniture that's been freshly dusted. It just seems to fall upon us. Do y'all ever have that happen? One time, many long years ago, it seems to me now, I was innocently standing at the cash register of a coffee shop paying for my drink. And another employee happened to walk behind the cashier, cashier and she was, had one of those industrial strength whipped cream deals in her hand. You know what I'm talking about? I don't get those fruit for drinks, so I don't know what that's all about. But she was walking behind, and next thing I know, splat, I'm standing there covered in a light, refreshing spray of lovely whipped cream. And I just stood there. And, I, and they, you should have seen the looks on their faces. Can you imagine? They were mortified. And no, neither one of them spoke. And the girl that's holding the can is still shaking it. And I'm, do you have a towel? So they hand me a towel, and I'm wiping it all off and everything. And they could not stop apologizing. They were like eating their liver out over it. And I'm laughing. All I could do was laugh. Praise God. Because I'll tell you, in the flesh, I could have popped off on both of them. But anyway. It was, a, it was a victory in Jesus moment. And so I'm standing there covered in whipped cream. And they're, we're so sorry, we're so sorry. Of course, your drink will be free. And I said, do you want to spill something else on me? The muffins look pretty good. <laughs> and I laughed. Ha, ha, ha. See, sometimes I was perfectly innocent. And splat, 
I just get hit with stuff from the world. That happens to us a lot. And it's important for us to remember that we walk by faith and not by sight. And there are times that stuff can happen and you're like, where did this come from, Lord? I don't understand what you're doing. Uh, far less funny. Our oldest went on a prodigal journey when he was in his late teens, early 20s. And we were, you know, he had to spend a few work release days with Sheriff Joe down in Tent City. They're serious about DUI, the state of Arizona, let me tell you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And there were days when we were going through a really rough time with him, days, years. And I would just stand back and say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. So I would go to the laver and I would say, tell me your truth, Lord. Not what the world is telling me, but what is your truth? And I would wash in the water of the word. And then I would be able to get up and go from there and have the right perspective and trust the God that I love. Sometimes you, you have stuff happen and things will occur. And you look at the Lord and go, what are you doing? Listen, we walk by faith and not by sight. If we understood everything he did, it would not be a faith walk. We need to remember all of the things that we know are true and never exchange what you know for what you don't know or don't understand. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will keep your path straight, make your path straight. Also, he said, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. Y'all, when my son was going off the rails, I was the one that was loving God. He didn't love God. And so I would stand sometimes and just say, Lord, you promised. I don't see how this thing is going to turn out good, but you promised, and I'm the one loving you here. So somehow this is going to have to turn out good from my perspective. And I was just saying this morning, I would literally take a step back and say, okay, Lord, I'm not going to get my hands in the mix. This is all yours. And I would go back to the word and I would let this truth dictate my conduct after that. And my son came back to the Lord many years later. He is, he is faithful. He is faithful to seek and save the lost. That's for sure. I wonder if King David had this in mind when he was uh, writing Psalm 26. And I will just read this for you. For your notes, though, it's verses 6 through 8. I believe that when he was writing this, he was using the tabernacle as inspiration because when David refers to the house of the Lord, the temple was not built. It was just a humble tent. He writes, I shall wash my hands in innocence and I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with a voice of thanksgiving and declare all your wonders, O Lord. I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. This is it right here, ladies. This is the place where his glory dwells. He has given us his son, the living word in written form on the pages of this book. And then he has invited us to come, to look into it, to tell ourselves the truth, to wash, to be cleansed, and to be refreshed. I think if we truly understand both regeneration and renewing, then we would walk joyfully in the light of God's abiding presence in our hearts. And that word becomes a wellspring, an overflowing and abundant resource that flows from us 
to bless everyone else. Our testimony becomes something that, like David says here, we can proclaim with a voice of thanksgiving. And that we can declare, just like David said here, the goodness and the wonders of God. You know, about a week after that coffee shop incident, I turned around in the coffee shop at our own church, and the cashier was sitting right there. <laughs> and I was like, hey, are you? And she just was, you, <laughs> you could just see her. She was still so embarrassed. Can you imagine what that confrontation had, would have been like? If I had had something to repent, I'm telling you, it was a victory in Jesus moment. And it was just sweet to be able to look at her and laugh and just have a forgiving heart. It's no big deal. I mean, what's whipped cream? Now, some of you may have bigger stuff flung at you and you may have bigger things to forgive than whipped cream, but you want to be able to proclaim and declare and be a, a light that is shining in the darkness. Even if you have been ill-treated and you just washed your hands in innocence. Listen, the Lord knows. And he is working all things together for good. <sighs> That's why we go to the labor frequently. And we let its ministry do the work that God intends it to do. And we learn to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. As I said a minute ago, water is symbolic of the Holy Spirit as well. Typically drinking water. You would not want to drink the water that was in this labor. Uh, but if you were ministering before the Lord on a hot, dry day, and there were lots of water splashy sounds, and the man who's refilling the water, boy, don't you think that would work up a pretty good thirst in your life? I think what happens when we come to the labor of God's word without the Holy Spirit, it's just a hard, dry thing. It's a spiritual thing. It must be spiritually discerned. If we look at the labor of God's word without the Holy Spirit there, all we see is failure, the laws that are broken, and the judgment that is rightly due. But when the Holy Spirit is present, he is our teacher, our guide, and he interprets the word of God to our hearts. What a gift that is. And the goal for us, ladies, is to become more Christ-like as we spend time here at the labor. What we want to do is gaze at our own reflection and begin to see more and more Jesus and less and less of me. He is our righteousness. He's the living word. He said, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And he also said, you are already clean. How? Because of the word that I have spoken to you. Psalm 119, verse 140 says, Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. Proverbs 35, every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto all them that put their trust in him. We're invited to dive into the water of the word. Imagine what that kind of living ladies would do for your reflection in this lost and dying world. The father sees us like the moon reflecting the sun. We've had a really good example of what that's like. In fact, the only thing that prevents the moon from reflecting the sun is when the world gets in the way. The world, the flesh, and the devil will get in the way so that you are no longer appropriately reflecting your Savior. You wash that off by coming back to the labor of the word. 
Before we accept Christ as our Savior, all of us are standing on the brink of judgment, and it's rightly due. But by the power of the Holy Spirit and through his infinite grace, we are invited by God himself to wash and refresh and be cleansed from all unrighteousness. And if you want to live a life of holiness, that's critical. A holy life is one that is willing to stand at the labor and tell herself the truth and hear what God has to say. But that's not the only thing. Truth is not the only thing that we get, hard truth, I should say, when we stand at the labor. We also receive encouragement and refreshment and wisdom and peace and fellowship and confidence and hope, hope in, and help in time of need. When we stand at the labor, this is where we learn that we are the beloved of God, that he sings a song over us, that you are his poema, a jewel in his crown. You are the apple of his eye. All of these things we learn when we spend time at the labor. And there are no limits to the word of God. That is one of the details that we're going to get back to here. Remember we talked about where the bronze came from. That was an interesting detail. But now we're going to look at some of those omissions just quickly. Verse uh, 19, the instructions in Exodus 30, verse 19, said that the men, the priests, were to wash from it. Look at this picture and tell me what's wrong with it. Wash from it, not in it. The idea is, imagine how dirty their hands would be. One guy puts his hands in there, and what has it done to the water? It's completely polluted. You are to draw water from God has very specific words about people who add to or take from his word. When we come to the labor of his word, we let it tell us the truth. We don't pick and choose the bits we like and leave the rest behind. We are meant to wash from it as the priests drew water to wash their hands and their feet. We must take the whole counsel of God and apply it. And the fact that there were no dimensions given and no cover over the uh, labor when it was on the march. Well, I will say that when Solomon rebuilds, he recreates many pieces of furniture for the temple. In fact, he builds 10 labors for the washing of the animals, sacrifices, but just one for the uh, priests to wash in. And he calls it the molten sea there. So God gives in the recording of the temple building, he gives the dimensions for that one, but he doesn't give it for this one. And when you read Numbers 4, no covering when it's on the march. I take those things to show that God has not put any kind of boundary or limitation on the word, that you can come to it as many times as you want. It's never covered up. It's never obscure. It's right out there in the open for every eye to see. And it's unlimited there's no dimension given because the unlimited resource of the word of God is available to everyone who will look and live. You look, you live, you don't, you die. It's that simple. If you are feeling gritty and grimy and a little disheveled in your person, in your spirit today, do what the psalmist tells you to do. Return to your rest. Psalm 116 verse 7 Return to your rest, O oh my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. He's provided everything you need. Indeed, he has given us his son in written form. And all we have to do 
is keep it before our eyes. Never lose sight of that. You know, in, when Josiah was just a brand new king, just a little boy king, they had lost the word of God. Did you know that? They lost completely the word of God, and the temple was all dilapidated and broken down. And as they were cleaning out all the bits and debris in that temple, somebody found the word of God. What a wonder. They bring it to Josiah, and he looks into the labor of God's word, and he recognized immediately how far his nation had wandered away from the God who loved them. And he tore his clothes and he began to mourn. And as he looked into the labor of God's word, it caused a revival in his life that spread to the nation. If we want to see a revival, it's going to start right here at the labor of God's word. First in your own heart and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. Again, I say, imagine what will happen to your reflection if you're spending time here. And you're allowing the word of God to do the work of God. This next week, I recommend that y'all read Psalm 119. It's called the love song of the labor, the psalm of the labor. And it is a beautiful, beautiful um, poem to the word of God. It's one of the sweetest things in the Psalms. The author beseeches the Lord, and I was struck by how many different ways he had to ask the Lord to help him understand. He says, teach me, make me. That's the one I love the most. Make me do it, Lord. Teach me, make me, guide me, quicken me. Give me understanding and knowledge of your word and your way and all the rest that I learn when I come here. It's an inexhaustible resource. It is so high, we cannot fully attain to it, but we can sure try. Next week, ladies, when you come back, we have a special treat. Sharon Semler is going to share with you what the Lord has been teaching her through the lessons of the labor. And I pray that you will be blessed. I'm looking forward to it. I don't know what she's going to say, but she's going to be in Psalm 119. So read ahead. And when you come back next week, prepare to be blessed by Sharon. And the week after that, we're going to look some more at water, the, wa the living water, our Savior Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for inviting us to stand at this brazen labor and receive the endless, refreshing, cleansing water of your word. Thank you so much, Jesus, for taking our judgment upon yourself, for pouring yourself out like water that we might live in truth and in fellowship with you. Oh, our strength and our redeemer. Help us, Father, always to desire to look into your word for truth. And may we love it above all else. In Jesus' name we pray. And the bride of Christ said, amen. amen. Oh, ladies, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord.